And I do just want to acknowledge that uh, on this Sunday, our Emmanuel Everywhere pastor is in the house. Can we thank God for Reverend Joel being with us today? So Emmanuel Everywhere, he's still there. He's still there. He's still clocked in, checking on y'all. But we thank God to see him in the building. If you will, uh, Psalm 8, starting at verse 1, and it reads, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? human beings, that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean's currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Hallelujah. If you would, help me introduce the title for today's message. Everyone say, Behold thy name. You may take your seats. Behold thy name. We are in the series entitled Behold, hoping that God might put our attention towards things that will be beneficial for us. As I mentioned, throughout Scripture, there are a variety of places where words such as behold or look or see or hear or there are meant to show us things that could be amazingly beneficial for us. And today's text is no different. That we get a chance now to enter into one of the Psalms drawing our attention towards something. Now, as I thought about this message, I couldn't help but to think about a variety of different things. Questions like, what is in a name? What do names represent? And some of us, we know, we can go throughout the world and we say certain names and they evoke certain energies about us. If we are in the political realm or we're historians, you might say a name such as Roosevelt or Winston Churchill, and they show up in a very specific way for you. John Kennedy and the Kennedy family. Some of us, we hear these names and they evoke a certain type of idealism around them. Some of us are into sports and we can say names of amazing sports figures such as Tiger Woods or Tom Brady. My all-time favorite, Michael Jordan, absolutely. Who I must say is still the goat in my book. However, 
LeBron James is waging an absolutely amazing case. Can we just be honest? I have never seen a 39-year-old play better than 25-year-olds. I just want to put that out there. But these names grab you. If you're in the tennis world, and many of you know I'm an avid tennis player, you hear names such as Roger Federer or uh, Rafael Nadal, right? Like these names, they grab you, they mean something, so much so that it's not just the name anymore, that when you say their name, it almost evokes something. If you're in the, the industry, whether it is uh, finance or if you're into, you know, big conglomerate companies, you say certain things such like Bill Gates or Elon Musk, and they gravitate certain things. There's something connected to a name. And our text today opens us up with a name. The Psalm 8 starts with the word Yahweh. In fact, there's a huge history around this very name. The name is considered to be so holy that writers don't even write it anymore. In the rabbinic tradition, they would transform any space in Scripture to hold the majesty and the glory of God, and they transform it to Adonai, or what we would translate as Lord. In fact, whenever you are reading Scripture and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, it is meant to be a breadcrumb for you to know that this is a place where the very proper name of God was given. O Lord, our Lord. The Hebrew text would say, Yahweh, Adonai. This is, this is absolutely amazing. In fact, the first place that we see this name uttered to humanity is in Exodus chapter 3. God calls out to Moses as he is rounding a burning bush. His attention is attracted to this bush because it is set on fire, but it's not being consumed. And as he draws closer to this anomaly, he hears an audible voice speak out to him that he is now standing upon holy ground. Take your shoes off. You're not worthy to bring in the mundanity of your daily activities to this space. You must recognize you are now in the presence of the divine. And as he is in the presence of the divine, God gives him command that he has heard the problems that are happening with his people. He has not turned a deaf ear or a blind eye, and now is the moment God has chosen to act. And God's actions are going to be led through Moses. That Moses now will be God's representative in the world, and he will go to set God's people free. Moses being a leader, 
knowing people goes back to God and says, okay, God, I'm looking at this bush and I can see that it's on fire. I heard your voice telling me I'm in the space of the divine. But if I walk up to some people and tell them that you sent me, they gonna think I'm crazy. So give me a name. Who should I say is sending me? Because if the wrong name shows up, then the people ain't gonna respond. But if the right name shows up, the people might not give me as many uh, problems. And God says these amazing words, I am that I am. I am that I am. And then he follows it up, verse 15, chapter 3 of Exodus. He says, Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of your fathers and grandfathers. Yahweh, the one that was there in the beginning and will be there in the end. Yahweh. This four-letter word. That's very different than four-letter words we use. However, both are being censored. One censored because it is the profane. The other censored because it's the divine. One censored because it offends folks. The other censored because it offends folks, but it shouldn't. One censored because it's meant to bring folks down. The other censored because it created all things and it's meant to bring them back up. Oh, four-letter word. So amazingly powerful that now in the Hebrew text by rabbinic tradition that all four, well, it's really only three, but all of these consonants, breath consonants as we would call them, are considered holy. Holy in themselves that any letter connected to the name of God must be special. This name is where our psalmist opens us up today in chapter 8 of the psalm. And this is the only hymn in all of the Old Testament that is written directly to God. In a variety of other places we refer to God, but it's never one writing back to God. But here the psalmist is writing to God being the audience. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's setting up the groundwork. And then they begin, he begins to connect all of these understandings and importances that accompany a name. That not only is this name holy, not only is this the name that God gave God's self, God's self-professed name directly uttered from the mouth of God, but this name also begins to represent all the things that God stands for. That the reason why you would utter this name is to be in representation of the one that it points you to. 
So much so that all throughout Scripture, especially in the Decalogue, it tells us not to take the name of God in vain. This is not talking about G-O-D, but these are those four letters again that we should not walk around just spewing these words lightly and cavalierly. But if they are ascribed to the divine, they should be held in honor. Don't you even utter them. Don't you even use them in vanity because we say things over and over again and we begin, to, we begin to forget just how amazing it is. And so the psalmist has said, let me let you know how amazing these words are. He goes in the first place that he starts in giving us the, the beauty of God's name is he starts with children. And I've talked about this before again and again, especially in, in moments of praise or in the story about God's redemptive act in the world, that the idea, the beauty, the gifting of children is brought up again and again. And I hope that we can hold to that, that we would see the gifting and the beauty of children. But Scripture says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. How do children or infants speak to the strength of God? How? With the very individuals who have the least ability for verbal communication speak to the power of a majestic God. This goes back to many beliefs about the name of God. That as I mentioned, I call them breath consonants, but these consonants that are intended to make you breathe from Y to H or W. It is communicating, or many believe, that it is not so much of a sound as a process small history lesson. So God's name that we call Yahweh, we believe that that is the correct pronunciation, but we're not 100% sure. Initially, there are no vowels given, so we put them there because we believe this aligns with the idea of Adonai. So we take those vowels and we kind of append it to these four consonants, giving us the idea of Yahweh. These same consonants are rewritten in a different way, the way that we get the word Jehovah. Same consonants transliterated or transversed for us in different ways, Yahweh and Jehovah. So Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Elohim, all of these are the same as Yahweh, speaking to the very same God. But the truth of the matter is, is when we recognize what these consonants give us, is that the real sound that comes is Yahweh. Some have connected it to the very process of us breathing. That the sound of breathing in and the sound of breathing out means then that from our birth, that the very first thing to communicate life it's to hit a baby upon its buttocks to make it take its first breath. 
and upon its first breath. The first thing it is communicating without even knowing that it is communicating is the very sound and name of God. That from babies all the way to adults, that while we sleep, all that we do throughout the day is us replicating the idea of an amazing and powerful God. This is why I believe that something happens in the human person when we're stressing and the first thing they tell you to do is stop and breathe. You don't get it. You think you are just doing one thing, but the truth is you are uttering the name of God back into the cosmos to regulate everything that's happening in your body. <sighs> the very children that breathe are talking about the power of God. That even those that don't believe in God have to use God's name to speak against God. I gotta take some breath in to say the words against God that will have me actually saying God's name that you can't live without saying. <sighs> he says that Children are taught from their birth to speak about the power of God. Yeah. And I must admit, this has challenged me more this week than at other readings of this text. And I've done well to try to mute my voice and not to speak about things that I don't fully understand. And so I'll say now for anyone watching, these are the views of Jason and not the Emanuel Baptist Church of San Jose, California. But I struggle knowing that the very name of God is in the mouths of children and we have a war happening currently that has killed more children than enemy combatants. Most recent numbers which were given, and we recognize that this is given via the health ministry through Gaza, are 17,000. 17,000 people have been killed. Of those, it is believed that a high number would be 5,000 of enemy combatants, meaning that less than one-third of the individuals killed are actually the individuals targeted. I'm not sure where in the world we would consider that a success rate. However, of that same number, over 7,000, Children with the name of God upon their tongues are dead today. And I can't be silent about that. 
And yes, there are a lot of issues. Yes, I totally understand a group of people desiring the demise of Israel. That is problematic, but Hamas is an ideology. And if we've learned anything, you can't kill ideology by killing people. Because the belief is that you wind up creating more adherence to the ideology every time you kill innocent civilians. So if we've killed over 10,000 innocent civilians, estimates are you create 10 times as many new adherents to the thing that you're trying to kill with every individual civilian that was not participating with the war. Therefore, they could have created 100,000 burgeoning combatants because of how we wage war. And why do I say this to you? Because it is our government that is helping to bankroll and fund it. Meaning that your tax dollars are paying for the demise of children. That bombs and ammunition with our country's name on it are blowing children to smithereens, and it is not okay for us to act like we're just gonna bury our heads in the sand and everything is okay and business is as usual. It cannot be business as usual. At the very birthplace of our Lord, we are in Christmas season. Bethlehem has canceled all Christmas celebrations because of brothers and sisters dying in Gaza, no homes, utter and complete destruction. So how? How can we go with business as usual? We shouldn't, and we can't. So I've signed my name to a ceasefire desire with hundreds of other African-American pastors and I think that you should be a part of it. I can't make you be a part of it, but this is what you should do. You should go to find my congressman, and we should be blowing up their emails and writing letters saying it's not okay for us to figure out how to get millions of dollars to blow up children, and we got all these problems here, and we're not doing anything. You should find your senator, your state representative and tell them this is not okay. And if they're not willing to voice the voice of the people to which they are supposed to represent, then we need to find new leadership and find other people who will. Because it just doesn't feel right that I'm getting ready to go and hold my children during this celebration and there are stories of family members who in one day lost 68 family members. Videos of health workers talking to a child that lost both parents and all siblings and is eight or nine trying to figure out if he is alone in the world. And these are our dollars. Scripture says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. But what happens when we kill all the children? 
So this is a segue, and I'll go back to the scriptures. Right outside of Agape, right after service, we're going to have computers set up where you'll be able to type in your address, and you can immediately find your congresspeople. I'm inviting everybody over. We'll be doing the meet and greet over there as well, that you can go in and you can send a message right then, immediately. For those of you that are online, there's the link that'll be put in the chat where you can click. I can't tell you what to do, but if God is arresting your heart, if God is saying that this, this ain't right to you, then you should voice that to our elected leaders. They should know, and we should continue to put pressure because what we do know is if the idea is to get hostages, you can't get hostages out while there is war. It wasn't until the ceasefire that we even got hostages out. So let's make sure our actions line up with our said intents. All right, I'll move away from my PSA. <clears throat> it says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, and that is the very way that you silence your enemies and all who oppose you. And then it says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place. The psalmist now writing about this amazing God turns around and says that even when I look into the darkness, I think it is absolutely a glorious idea that the psalmist didn't use daytime, but instead spoke about the idea of seeing God in the darkness. Yeah. Now, this is not talking about, um, you know, God being in all things and that is God. I'm, this is not that. The, the psalmist is very clear. It is not the creation that the psalmist is worshiping. But in the creation, we see the fingerprint of the creator. And that while wrapped in utter darkness... One could look up and see the pinholes poked in the sky of God communicating to God's people. And of course, the psalmist didn't have the gift of science technology that we do. But now to think about what God would have had to orchestrate and put in place for us to even see this is mind blowing. The closest stars to us is a cluster called Alpha Centauri. These are the closest cluster of stars. There are three of them. The closest one is over four light years away, meaning that when you look into the night sky today, the light that you see was produced over four years ago. We're seeing light from 2019 when we look into the night sky. That's for the stars closest to us. Other stars are thousands to millions of light years away, meaning that prior to the full formation of the earth, God knew we would look up 
planned millions of years ago to make sure when we looked up, we would see light coming from something we didn't even know how far away it was, but God saw it, placed it in the sky so that it would reach us. So when we would look up, we would see the beautiful glory of God before us that God planned for you and I millions of years ago before we ever walked upon the earth that light would be available for our eyes to see in the darkness if we got a God like that. A God that could plan that level of meticulous working that we are seeing so much. It's the communication of a powerful God whose name is great in all the cosmos. The stars are still obeying what God said way back in the beginning of creation, doing what God would have that we might see. And then the psalmist gets into the thick. He says, if I can see all of this, knowing the beauty of your name and how you've nestled this into the mouths of children, seeing the, the gift of your sky and how you've worked these things so meticulously, who are we? What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Out of all you got going on, God, out of all the stuff that is moving and happening in all of the universe, as your name is still being made great on planets we've never even seen before, you would have the, the great gift and amazement to come and care about us that we open our mouths to a cosmic creator and every single time we have full confidence that God can hear us, that God sees us, that God is working on behalf of us. The other psalmist says that God has the very hairs of our head counted, numbered, keeping such a detailed account about our lives. What is, who are we, God, that you would think that much about us? Come on, let's be honest, man. We, we know folks with just a little bit of money, and they act like they don't know who we are. You can talk to, to folks that are leading just a little bit of something and they look down their nose at you like you ain't nothing. But we got the God of all creation, the one that said, let there be, then there was, has the audacity to have our names in his mouth. Who are we, God, that you would think this way about us, that you would care so much for us? And watch this, it says that you've made us. Now, some versions of the text say a little bit lower than the angels. But the word here is actually Elohim. The psalmist says, when I think about the way that you've made us, looking back to Genesis in your likeness, you didn't make us God, but you made us like God. And you put us in authority over so many things in the earth. I dare not ask how well we're doing with the authority we've been given. I dare not ask how we're treating animals or the earth, yet alone each other. 
I dare not wonder how messed up we have taken for granted the gift and authority God has given to us. But he says, you've given us this charge. And despite how we may have messed up or not, your name is still powerful within the earth. So today... I'm going to close the sermon a little differently. I want to close the sermon almost as if it's a call and response. Now, all of you all know I get nervous about singing. So I'm about to tear this up terribly, but play for me anyway. Thank you, love. But the way I'm intending is that I'm going to sing a piece of a song, and many of you will know it, and then I'm going to come out of the song. Sing a piece, come out, and then I'll invite you to sing with me. When I motion to you, I want you to join with me in singing, and we'll close the sermon together. All right? We're going to try this. If this doesn't work, I'll never do it again. <clears throat> Just want to make sure I put that out there early. Oh, Lord, our God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. The psalmist started in this space thinking about the power of Yahweh, calling out to God who made all things and had the audacity to think about us, called us into being, made us right with God, and he was overwhelmed at the thought. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. God gave us a gift to be able to look around at one another and the creation and see fingerprints of an amazing God. And this was intentional, not so that we can just marvel, but that we can be given consolation. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, no matter the difficulties that lie in front of us, we stand before a majestic God, able to do more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. So, sing the chorus with me. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. 
how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Second verse, keep singing. And when I think that God His Son not sparing sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the My burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Come on, sing with me. Then sings my soul, my Savior God. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Seems only right that I close it with the third. And it says, When Christ shall come in shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I will bow. In humble adoration And then proclaim My God, how great Thou art Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou in all the earth. You are worthy of our praise, our glory, and adoration. We'll sing glory to your name that all may know how wonderful you are. Behold thy name. Pray with me. 